0: short track
1: very special short track I have the phone turned on Uh. (laughs) 8 can we use that (laughs) please (laughs) please (laughs) it's too good too explicit you can bleep it
0: okay yeah think
1: about it let you re-listen to it make, make up your mind
0: okay otherwise
1: Ba-ba-da-da. Hear ye, hear ye A special short track From the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast Here's Joe Fredericks
0: Get your permit here yeah, Who wants a permit? Step right up and book a permit Where are you going?
1: You son, what permit are you looking for today?
0: I made a decision, Matthew You did? I'm not going to go to the Boundary Waters this year <laughs> What?
1: Who are you? Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> you're dead to me. Okay.
0: Here's the deal. Permit season opens Wednesday, 9 a.m. January
1: 26th. It's less than six days away.
0: 9 a.m. sharp Central Time for all our East and West Coast listeners.
1: In case you're wondering why, the Boundary Waters Canaria Wilderness is in Central Time.
0: Central time, 9 a.m. permits available. I will be logging on to recreation.gov at 9 a.m. sharp, uh, booking a permit for the fishing opener earlier in May this year, kind of a, that more traditional date. I'm going to actually get that pulled up here in just a second, what day that is, but I'll be booking a permit for the fishing opener. Actually, we go in on the Friday. Kevin, the Man Kramer, and I have a trip planned in pursuit. A new territory. Brook trout, lake trout, possibly walleye, exploration.
1: I'm very excited. That's the permit I'll be booking. You? Well, I've got my sights on a few specific uh, trips, um, all in the Duncan Rose area specifically, uh, because I've been pumped to get to know this trail builder, Willie Bittner, who is going to be doing the rebuild of the... uh, Rose Falls, uh, Stairway Portage, uh, Stairwell. And uh, they're going to be getting started really as soon as ice is out. So I'm going to try to make my best guess for ice out Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: and get a permit for that. And uh, also for about when they're planning on wrapping up just before the 4th of July. So I'm really excited to see sort of before and after at this sort of iconic portage. Are you doing a
0: canoe overnight? Getting your own permit is separate from the the group itself. You're getting your own permit. Oh, 100. percent Are you doing uh, some sort of foot endeavor, or is this like a Duncan Lake permit?
1: Oh, I'm gonna paddle in. Yeah. Yep. This, you know, I mean, you know, it'll be the whole experience. I won't just linger there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll uh, head over towards Gunflint along the border lakes. Maybe I'll head towards uh, Mountain Lake. Uh, I'll explore and make the most of it. I actually haven't paddled into mountain. I've only ice skated, so I'd like to be there in a canoe.
0: Right. Uh, Make note, please, sir, of the fact Duncan Lake,
1: due to the quota reduction, down from three daily permits to two. That's why I'll be on at 9 a.m., my friend. Right. I'm sure with many of our listeners (laughs) competing (laughs) with you, our beloveds, for the coveted permit.
0: You know, it's going to be interesting to see how the quota reduction impacts the number of people logging on on Wednesday Indeed. that morning. I mean, people that's typically kind of... Some people just do it for fun or it's a well, ritual. It's a, or It's exciting, yeah. Right.
1: It's an exciting ritual. Get You can start to plan your trip. Mm-hmm.
0: This year it might be a little bit more, I need to do this because there's not as many permits. Yeah, like almost
1: Black Friday-esque.
0: It is. Uh, I hope that
1: violence does not break out. <laughs> I, well, if you'll recall a few years ago when the
0: changeover occurred, there was a new website, a new platform for getting those, and the system crashed That's that day. That's right. Recall that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it yeah. was kind of a nightmare. It, that that was a, I mean, we remember it, so it was not necessarily a good thing. I think everybody, including the Forest Service, would agree with that. So we'll see what the system can handle on Wednesday, the 26th, because a lot of people going to be logging on. Uh, Just a quick follow-up on that. The fishing opener is Saturday, May 14th, so this permit will be for Friday, May 13th. Are
1: there any other places that that you're... Are you going to be just getting the opener permit, Joe, or are you going to... I mean, you know, if you don't get the one that you're going for, do you have, like, choice two, choice three? Do you have backup plans? No. Oh. This is all in. Wow. I will... Yes,
0: I will have to re... I mean, we'll... The backup plan would be to not do this trip or get into that area, which therefore reshapes everything. I mean, the backup plan is like devastation, essentially, or a familiar
1: territory, which isn't devastation, but we're going all in. Is that a lake I don't know about? Devastation Lake? I wonder if there is. Entry point uh, (laughs) 362?
0: I it, 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 uh, now you got point me nervous. Six six six. Yeah. What am I going to do?
1: What am I going to do if I let the K man down? Well, I don't, I mean I think maybe having a backup plan would be a good idea. Jeez. I mean it would minimize disappointment and right. and the need to like kind of try to figure out a plan on the spot.
0: You're right. I I do. Okay. I have a backup plan. Okay. Uh, would be fine trip. Just nothing new about it. You know. Hmm. Um. But okay. Well. There's that to consider. Hopefully our listeners are picking up on
1: this, like, you should probably get into this with a backup plan. Totally. I, I hope folks do that, and maybe even with some moral support, like, maybe we should be together on Wednesday morning, Joe, just Just in case.
0: I don't want you near me slowing down <laughs> my broadband. <laughs> don't borrow my bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but actually, stay off my bandwidth. <laughs>
0: Uh, we'll keep you posted. Maybe we'll share an update in the next episode or something about if we got our chosen oh. chosen permits. Actually, though, Matthew, while we're talking about this subject, I had the opportunity to speak with a local outfitter about some of these changes, and they're, they're doing some things up at Sawbill uh, in preparation for this as well. And let's hear what uh, a friend of the podcast had to say about this. Overnight permits for the 2022 Boundary Waters paddling and recreation season go live. You can get your permits starting on Wednesday, January 26th at 9 a.m. Ahead of that, there's some online discussion and just a lot of discussion in the paddling community, certainly regarding quota reduction and just what the upcoming season will look like. Joining us now for more on that is Claire Shirley, one of the co-owners of Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. Claire, thanks for your time. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's start out by saying that you, Sawbill, are hosting a virtual event on Facebook Live on Friday. That's the 21st of January at noon. It's live, interactive, and you'll be talking about a lot of things, including the history of the quota permit system. Uh, Give us an overview about what this uh, Facebook Live event is about.
2: Sure. Yeah. So this really stemmed from um, a lot of conversations that I've been having with my dad, Bill, who, of course, many know, was the um, owner of Sawbill Canoe Outfitters for many decades. Um, prior to that, his parents were the founders. So we've just been having a lot of discussions with the announcement of the reduction of permit quotas. Um, we've been talking a lot about, you know, how how were these quota numbers set to begin with? And, you know, how have they changed over the years and how have usage patterns in the boundary waters changed and what does that mean? Um, and there's just a lot of great, uh, Bill has a lot of great historical knowledge. He was really involved in a lot of those uh, different processes and times. And um, it's been really interesting for me, you know, if anybody out there is a, as big a Boundary Waters nerd as we are, um, it'll be fun to tune in. So we're just going to talk a little bit about how these Um, numbers were set in the first place and how they've been arrived at and changed over the years Um, so informal just a fun chat about you know how how that's all happened and Bill has just a wealth of knowledge about that so it's really fun to talk to him
0: okay and this will be if people miss it live or they're hearing our discussion after the fact that this aired on uh, this live discussions Friday on the 21st at noon would people is that archived on Facebook
2: or on your website or something yeah, absolutely. So on Sawbill Canoe Outfitters Facebook page, um, it'll be saved there. We're shooting to talk for about an hour, but if people have questions or, you know, want to follow up on anything afterwards too, we'd be glad to, to answer those or, you know, give feedback, um, later on too. And, Uh, If I'm tech-savvy enough, I'll try to save it and and post it on our uh, newsletter on our website as well, which is just sawbill.com.
0: Okay, very good. Well, let's move into, actually, before we stray from that, I see something you mentioned in Mm -hmm. there. Speaking of uh, Boundary Waters nerds, I consider myself one of those proudly, (laughs) by the way. Uh, So you mentioned you're going to discuss the backward seeking statistical model that was used to develop the permit system, or you mentioned that at the very least in kind of the uh, text to uh, preview your upcoming event. So, tell us a little bit about that. That that in and of itself sounds a bit uh, nerdy, if you will.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. So this is that's the answer to the question: Where did these uh, quota numbers get set in the first place? How did they come to be? Um, and when you when you think about you know setting quotas for use in the Boundary Waters Wilderness, it's a complex issue when you really dig into it, right? You know, how many permits are appropriate? How many groups should be entering at which lake? And, and how do you know what the appropriate number is, right? So that was the, that was the question that the Forest Service was faced with back in the 70s. Um, and they, they developed this you know, really complex uh, model where they did a study looking at usage, you know, where were people camping, uh, what lakes, how long were they camping there for? Um, and then they you know, set some goals for how full, how much capacity do we want in these different zones Um, on on the busiest weekend of the year and then you work backwards from that to figure out what is the appropriate number of groups to enter at the lakes based on you know travel patterns and usage uh, to arrive at this quota permit so that's like a really basic basic understanding of it um bill will go much more into detail on that um on our chat on facebook um but that's that's the model that's where they came up with the the permit numbers
0: Hmm. okay yeah that is interesting that is i mean essentially getting into mathematics and variables and and using uh, those types of things that's an actual like mathematical type way to calculate things and figure out numbers and so forth
2: it is it is because you know everybody everybody and their brother has an anecdote about being in the wilderness and you know whether you encountered a lot of groups or not or campsites were full or not and It's really hard to arrive at um, a process or a a way of setting management tools um, based on anecdotes. So, using something like this—a statistical model that's based on, you know, real data, real travel um, patterns—is really beneficial for such a complex issue.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, let's get into this complex issue because certainly there are some changes coming. for 2022 as when it comes to the number of permits that are being allowed by the forest service and and in fact uh the the reduction will ultimately mean that thousands of fewer groups about an average of 37 fewer groups allowed into the boundary waters each day so that number 37 when you kind of spread that across a a season from may to the end of september that means there could be a lot fewer people i mean 50 Five thousand six hundred groups, just to put it in the context of how much that adds up to, and then when you talk about maybe an average of three, four per permit or more, that we're talking a lot of people. Claire, I, th- I think people are fully yeah. aware of the the changes that this uh, quota reduction means, and that's to narrow it down to the Sawbill entry point. Sawbill Lake uh, being reduced from fourteen to eleven, so down to eleven for twenty twenty two. I know that uh, your husband, Dan, has posted some sentiments on social media about this, not necessarily you know, saying that it's a terrible idea per se, but in a, mm-hmm. that maybe there would be some other steps that might have been a bit more effective instead of just slashing the quota. Uh, tell us about where you're at with this.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I, I understand people's initial reaction to say, oh, you know, thank goodness we're going to, you know, cut down the number of people and, and you know, protect the boundary waters. And I, I can understand that as an initial reaction. Um, I think when you dig a bit deeper into it, you know, there are certainly a, a constellation of things that have happened here um, to create some issues in the boundary waters. You know, there were, um, we had increased usage in the last two years largely due to the pandemic people are rediscovering the the joys of recreating outside uh but also there was a a much less education and enforcement happening um with you know contact with permit pickup ranger stations being closed um you know the rangers out in the wilderness were unable to have as much face-to-face interaction with people you know early on in the pandemic when we we didn't know um how safe that was so all of these things have kind of come together to um create some issues in the boundary waters i I do think those issues are a little bit overblown. You know, when you talk about crowding in the Boundary Waters, I mean, what we're really talking about here, the the vast majority of the Boundary Waters doesn't see people, right? There are vast swaths of land and lakes that never see a person. What we're really talking about here is the impact on these really popular, um, you know, high traffic areas. They tend to be close to the entry points, you know, easy to access, uh, popular campsites. You know, that's where a lot of this this damage is coming from. And so that's what we're we're talking about here is lessening the impact there. So there's a number of ways that you can get at that. I'm a big proponent of educating people. I think uh, the Boundary Waters is ultimately going to be protected by people who love it and care about it. Um, And we need to cultivate those people. We need to bring them into the fold We need to let them into the club. You know, that's my favorite part about my job is helping people discover the boundary waters and learn how to be good stewards, um, how to apply those leave no trace principles to their group and their canoe trip. Um, So in my view, you know, simply limiting public access is not necessarily going to get at those issues, right? Um, And of course, there's always a few bad actors who are going to cut down a tree or something. But again, is lowering the quota permits going to help bad actors change their their practices probably not you know um so i think there's a there's a really a lot of education that needs to be done and you know the boundary waters is the most visited wilderness area in our country um it should have the best education you know i mean there's no reason why we can't be uh, leaders in that field and why we can't have a really robust and wonderful education that can help teach people, you know, how to responsibly and mindfully recreate in this area um, so that future generations have that same opportunity.
0: Hmm. Okay. And I think that uh, some of the people who are aligned with what you're saying about, there are other tools that might better serve the purpose of maintaining the wilderness and res- having people aware of what it means to travel and recreate in a designated wilderness area, that that's that's an approach that quota reduction isn't necessarily the best move. I I know uh, Jason Taborski over at Ely Outfitting, for example, has been pretty vocal about kind of echoing some of the sentiments that you shared, Claire. But the connection there that jumps out from just an outside observer and objective kind of a a 100-foot aerial view of the situation is that people who are outfitters or have a interest in how many people might be able to get in because you're renting them gear and equipment and so forth uh, that there's an economic side of, of why you might want more people to go in. Can you
2: oh, sure. <laughs> Can you just address, <laughs> yeah, totally. address
0: that sort of elephant in the discussion, if you will?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, listen, there is nobody who is more invested in the Boundary Waters maintaining its wilderness quality than an outfitter, right? I mean, my livelihood completely depends on the pristine, clean water of the Boundary Waters. It completely depends on the preservation of our ancient boreal forests. I mean, even even the, the damage to the reputation of the wilderness will hurt my business. So, you know, I have businesses like mine and Jason's and other outfitters, we stand, to, we have the most to lose, right? If the boundary waters is degraded or in some way damaged, um, because that's, that's what our businesses completely rely on is that wilderness character. Um, so a lot of outfitters I know are, we're, you know, excellent educators in helping people. We work with groups, you know, one-on-one before they go in. To make sure that they're having um, as little impact as possible and, and doing things in a responsible way, and you know, also having a, a good trip and a great vacation and, and doing what they want to do. So, um, I'm all about you know preserving public access to public lands. Um, that's just a you know philosophically, I'm I'm all about that. Um, but I'm all about doing it in a responsible way. Again, because you know I've got the long term in view here. Um, you know, if I have a if I have a down year, that's you know, that's a drop in the bucket. We're, we're looking at the long-term vision here.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess m- more to what I was getting at, Claire, is that you might not see a quota reduction as a good thing because that's less people that you can rent equipment to.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, at, at some point that is an issue. Um, you know, this isn't the kind of thing where saw bill's not going to like, you know, go under this year. We've had a couple of rough years with with fire seasons and the pandemic, I mean, there's just a lot of different factors that go into running an outfitter like this. Um, And, you know, ultimately, will we see fewer people come through the doors? Probably. Um, But really that's, you know, a a pretty small factor when we talk about, um, you know, public access to public lands and certainly not every single permit that goes in on Sawbill comes through my outfitter too. There's plenty of people that have their own gear and, you know, they don't even stop by my place. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it's you know, it's a larger issue than just, than just purely a a,
0: a business issue. Mm-hmm. There is a concept. I mean, I've s- spoke with forest service officials about this, both the active forest service officials and even people like Barb Soderbergh, who was involved. I'm, I'm sure you're probably talked with your dad about some of this back in the seventies, who was very instrumental in kind of defining how the wilderness will be managed and what it means to add that uh, designation after the 78 act was passed. But the wilderness itself isn't necessarily designed or there to serve the interest and engagement of human beings. It's, it's supposed to kind of be set aside for its own protection, not just in the enjoyment of, of humans. And so that part of it might be a factor in this as well. Where, where do you stand or fit into that?
2: Sure. I mean, ultimately, the concept of wilderness is a is a construct, right? I mean, it's wilderness isn't it's, it's not really a thing. It's a it's a made up construct. Um, you know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to draw boundaries around wilderness areas like this. Um, and it would be just, you know, free and open for for the people of the world to use. Um, human nature requires that that we do put in some protections, you know, otherwise everything ends up developed. Um, and that's just that's just human nature. So, you know, there are some protections in place to protect wilderness areas like the Boundary Waters. Um, You know, the concept that the wilderness exists outside of any sort of human interaction or human influence, um, I think, is a a misguided um, concept. You know, for hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the wilderness being a wilderness, it was being used by indigenous people. Um, There are campsites, many campsites, and most of the portages in the Boundary Waters were Created as campsites and portages because they were areas that had been used by Indigenous peoples. I'm thinking of the north site on Alton. You know that um, has archaeologically been shown and through oral history been shown to have been used for hundreds of years prior to it being the most popular Boundary Waters campsite on Alton uh, by by Anishinaabe people. Um, So the concept that this that this area exists, you know, completely outside the the realm of human interaction um, is is not true. And so, you know, a lot of it is what we're talking about is, you know, how to, um, how to craft an experience for people who are going out there, how to, you know, keep that experience alive um, without loving a place to death, right? And so that's where the original quota comes from, helps to spread people out, helps to manage that usage. And that's, that's appropriate, I think. Um, you know, having people stay on designated campsites, using portages, you know, to, to concentrate that impact in such a way that it facilitates. Using this space and having the experience um, without completely degrading
0: the area. Right. And indeed, the philosophical concept of a wilderness area is something that Matthew and I have have talked about on the podcast uh, previously when we were over at Listening Point at Sigurd Olson's place in Ely. We had a a pretty in depth kind of built a theme around that for an episode. And and indeed, of course, uh, you mentioned the historical use of the Boundary Waters and the use of fire and how that has shaped uh, the landscape and on some of the border lakes. Uh, we're talking with fire researchers and the indigenous use of fire and where that fit into what has shaped the Boundary Waters. But uh, this philosophical idea of a Boundary Waters canoe area wilderness, and often it's referenced, I know that Jason has said this a lot, that the ideas that the the people around the country love to visit the special place and it's in the best interest of the wilderness and, and the people of Minnesota to kind of keep that open for people to access. Is that actually what it is there to do, is to be a place that we can go? Or is it just that it exists and we can take a feeling and just knowing that that place is out there as opposed to having to be there, so to say?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to you know to know the Boundary Waters is to love it. Um, and it's hard for people to create a connection or to really understand it without having that experience at least once. You know, you and I have the benefit of having gone in many, many, many times, as many as we want, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't have that opportunity or that experience um, anywhere, you know. Um, There's a lot of places in this country that don't have public lands. There's large swaths, especially in the Midwest, um, where there just isn't a lot of public land. So having that opportunity to really experience it um, is really life-changing for people. And as an outfitter, I see that, you know, every day in the summer. I mean, this is a, this is a completely life-changing experience for people to experience um, the woods and the waters um, in, in this really unique place. Um, so that sounds dramatic, but it's true. You know, I mean, it's just, it's true when we see that all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. right uh, and and we hear those types of stories as well I mean that's definitely not an exaggeration or or even slightly exaggerated or sensationalized and what you're saying we Matthew and I have heard from many people over the the years now doing the podcast who say this place has reshaped my identity and relationship with with the natural world and and personal experiences that I've had there family connections things of that nature have have re connect to me and reshape me. I am a different yeah, person. And
2: there's ripple, there's ripple effects out into society from that too, from people that have that experience and then carry that with them and, and hand it down to their children and, and their children's children. And, you know, for some of us who have had those experiences and we feel very, um, you know, protective of that place and very protective of those experiences. And again, I think that's where that initial reaction of, you know, well, good, keep other people out, you know, keep it the way it is so, so that I can preserve my experience there. Um, but again, I think there's other ways to invite people into the fold, to bring people in, to educate them and to do this in a responsible way. Um, to allow for, you know, people other than you and I to have that experience as well. You know, what I mean Bill says all the time, like, Well, really there should only be two people in the boundary waters, you know, me, you and um, I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? So right. <laughs> I get that. I get that feeling. But I also um, see the way that it changes people's lives. And I, I want that to be um, an opportunity. I mean, this belongs to the American people. This mm-hmm. is a land that belongs to the American public. It is public land. It is managed for us by the government, you know, by the by the USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, I am sensitive to that. And I'm sensitive to the fact that though I feel a great sense of ownership over this place, um, I share that ownership with you know, the fellow citizens of this country. Um, hmm. And I want to make sure that anybody who wishes has the opportunity to have that life-changing experience.
0: Yeah, well, that's very well said. And I think that when we talk with the Forest Service at WTIP, or when I've read other interviews of just about the budget of the Forest Service, it's often linked in some way to, you know, they kind of get a little bit more rigid when it comes to budgets and There's only so much money to be spent and there's a lot of money going toward wildfire suppression and just wildfire efforts around the country, including now and certainly in Minnesota, as we saw in 2021. Uh, So maybe that that is impacting wilderness rangers and just that, that impact that's being felt in the back end of of the wilderness area that as you referenced, that there could be some more education or more presence might be a, a means of addressing some of this as opposed to a quota reduction. But that balancing act for the forest service of that th- we'll have to shut down the wilderness. If there's another fire and, and it gets very complex and kind of a revolving door at that point about budget budget related things.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really complex issue. And that's partially why we wanted to have this chat um, on the Facebook Live, because it is it is a complex issue. And there's, you know, there's really no cut and dry, like right or wrong or good or bad. You know, it's just it's just a complicated issue. And so it's um, worthy of a lot of discussion, I think. And, and truly, you know, the Forest Service does a lot of things really well. Um, and there's no way that they can do it all perfectly. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a huge and complex issue. And the Boundary Waters isn't the only thing on the Forest Service's plate up here, right? I mean, they, you know, they got a lot of other stuff going on, too, other than just their their wilderness crews. Um but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity and we see this in Cook County especially, there's a lot of opportunity for really great partnerships and um, you know, cooperative agreements. And I think there are some organizations that are, you know, organizations of educators who um would be happy and willing to to, you know, partner, work with the Forest Service and um, come up with really interesting and, and effective educational programming for the wilderness area. So I would love to see some things like that happen. Um, you know, there's just a lot of resources out there and a lot of um, great organizations that would be, you know, happy to collaborate and work on this. You know, the cooperators is one example. So those of us who issue permits and do a lot of that education, you know, face-to-face, one-on-one, because the ranger stations can't do it all. There's just, you know, there's it's because of what you said, you know, there's budget issues and whatever. So um, that program has worked well and, and there's other opportunities for that, I think.
0: Okay. And, and just lastly then, Claire, I want to ask you this question because it's something I've been thinking about since the, okay. the quota reduction uh, was announced in, in December was what what might be a, a better solution in, in your mind? Would it have been quota reduction or looking at adding more campsites?
2: Well, you know, I think there's, I'm I'm not necessarily just, completely opposed to, to quota changes. I don't, you know, that's not my position at all. I think there's absolutely a, a world in which, you know, adjustments to the quota system are appropriate. Um, I am not an expert on all entry points. I really, am, you know, deeply steeped in the Saubel area, but I would not even begin to advise on what the quotas should look like in the Ely area. Um, but, you know, what I'd like to see is a, a, a process for this that is based on, um, you know, good solid data, um, and less based on anecdotes or, you know, um, complaints that get called in, because I think that's that's flawed information and it's, it's not getting a whole picture. Um, you know, I'd love to see more robust education. Like I said, Boundary Waters should have just, we should have the best education for users, bar none. You know, we should be leaders in this field. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity there. And so I would love to see some of that move forward. Um, and that's really, you know, that's what we do at Fall Bill and And that's what we're going to be focusing on.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what we know for sure heading into the paddling season when it begins in, in May largely, but when uh, permits are available starting next week on Wednesday on the 26th at 9 a.m. is that there will be fewer permits for some entry points. And we'll wait and see exactly how that manifests into changes in in the next summer and in the year ahead uh, but we know for sure that there are some quota reductions permit reductions including it at sawbill and sawbill lake 14 to 11 i'll we'll put a, a list uh, somewhere on the wtip site and, and we already have that uh, initial story that we've shared as well but uh appreciate appreciate hearing from you and and maybe you can engage in some of these topics in an, in an additional way or deeper way uh, during this event that's taking place on Friday, January 21st at noon. It's a Facebook live event with Bill Hansen and Claire Shirley from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. If I'm available and and have time, I'd love to just sit back and and listen to this or maybe I'll I'll be able to watch it afterward. Claire, it sounds like a really fascinating discussion that could take place. Uh, We're speaking today with Claire Shirley from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Have a good
2: one.